Hi, Daniel. Section 93 today. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in here. A lot of um, phrasing and passages from the New Testament that resemble the New Testament. So I'm interested in looking at that a little bit. Understanding better the character of Christ and how to become like him, receiving his fullness. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome. Before we get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're talking about Doctrine and Covenant section 93. In this section, the Lord teaches that those who are repentant and prayerful and obedient will see his face, that Christ is the Son of God, the light of the world. We also learn from this section that we lived with God before this life and that we increase in our light as we learn and obey truth. We also know that Christ is the light of the world. Mm -hmm. We're also taught that the glory of God is intelligence or light and truth and that Satan desires to take this intelligence away. Now, there's a lot of different things that we can talk about in this section. It's really packed full, but we're going to focus in on three things in particular. Uh, first, the relationship between the Father and the Son and why understanding that is important, uh, what it means to receive a fullness of the Father, and this idea that intelligence is light and truth. So in order to help us dive deeper into the scriptures to understand these concepts well, we've invited our good friend, Eric Huntsman. Eric, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Can you Welcome. join us Have up here? Seat. Sure, I'd love to. Thank you so Thanks much. For coming. So Eric, you received your PhD from the University of Pennsylvania in ancient history. Uh, you're currently a professor of ancient scripture at BYU, and your research focuses on the New Testament and Johannine literature. Yeah, Johannine is a fancy way of saying anything to do with John. So the Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation, the letters attributed to him. Yeah, That's 93 works really well with you today. Perfect. Yeah, yeah thank I'm you. glad to do this. Great. Um, so before we get into uh, our discussion, I'm wondering, can you tell us, was there anything in this section that you found especially meaningful or that stuck out to you? Well, because of my interest in the Gospel of John, I was really intrigued by the relationship of the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. In the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, Jesus is not as forward with his relationship to the Father as he is in the Gospel of John. He talks about being like his Father, doing what he sees his Father do. He addresses God as his Father all the time in that Gospel. And of course, this section really emphasizes that. Mm -hmm. And when we get into the meat of this section, we'll see that the opening of this section echoes a lot of the ideas in the Gospel of John's prologue or opening chapter. So that will be neat to see. Excellent. So should we jump right into it then and start our first topic, which is the Father and the Son? Yeah, let's do it. We talk contextually, usually when we go into these sections, and, and frankly, there's really not a lot of historical context to section 93. Can you maybe just guide us a little bit, maybe more contextually as far as the scriptures and things and what yeah, we can learn? Yeah, as you say, in terms of the historical context, I mean, we know it was in Kirtland. It was in May of 1833, but we don't have some of the background we usually expect, like this was happening or he had this question, he went to the Lord and received this section. The Lord answered this right, for this right. reason, and here it is, yeah. But the fact that this echoes so much of the language of the Gospel of John is significant to me because we know that the prophet Joseph Smith really resonated with the writings of John. And so my personal opinion is that the prophet resonated with both the figure of John the Baptist that we'll talk about, but particularly John the Apostle, the beloved disciple as he's often called. And the language that John used I think was something that Joseph Smith really resonated with and he uses it so much in his teachings, this idea of Christ being the light, the truth, the way. And so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, and we get a sense in the revelation itself of what we should be taking away from this. In, in verse 19, it says, I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. So as we get into this kind of discussion of understanding the relationship between the Father and Son, we might think, uh, how does this pertain to worship and how does it help us come into Christ? A lot of times when we ask people, what does it mean to worship? You can list the things we do to worship, take the sacrament, go to the temple, pray, read your scriptures, that kind of thing. But we don't always talk about what worship is. And some years ago, I was working on a writing project and I defined worship as an encounter with deity that transforms the worshiper. And that's what section 93 is about. As we gain light and truth, 
truth is we come to know the Father and the Son, we are changed, we become more like them. And the goal is to receive their fullness. So I think that kind of thematic passage, Daniel, that you identified is really going to unfold for us. So Joseph Smith actually has a wonderful quote that is, it's a common quote that we hear. He says the following, if men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend themselves. I want to ask this congregation, every man, woman, and child to answer the question in their own heart, what kind of being God is. Understanding the character of God requires us to understand the character of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, and their relationship to each other as well. And there's a few things in, in this section that relate to the Father's relationship to the Son. So we see here that the Son is in the Father, and the Father in the Son. The Father and the Son are one. The Son received a fullness of the Father, uh, and that fullness wasn't at, received at first, but grace for grace. So Eric, I think this kind of plays into this idea that um, in the Gospel of John and in this section, there's a real close relationship between the Father and the Son. So I'm wondering, why might understanding these things be helpful for us to understand ourselves, uh, and why are they relevant to our worship? You know, I think one of the real keys is to look at what's often called the great intercessory prayer in John chapter 17, where Jesus, before Gethsemane, before the atonement, his death, his resurrection, is praying for us, his followers. And he prays that we may be one as he and the Father are one. In fact, it's, it's John 17, 11, uh, that they may be one as we are one. And so the idea is if we understand how the Father and the Son are one, that gives us a template, if you will, for how we can become more like them. So mm -hmm. that's, that's an important part. But there's this beautiful verse towards the end of that. Um, in verse 18, uh, he was in the bosom of the Father. So the idea is as we can come into the arms of Jesus, we can have the relationship with him that Jesus has with the Father. He's in the embrace of the Father. We had a question about that, yeah. I was really impressed with this relationship between God and Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ doesn't do anything until he has seen his Father do it. And this really meant something to me as uh, God does not want us to be left uh, confused. He's going to direct us. Excellent. Thanks for that. Yeah, Adam, I, I really love that comment. And, and as, as a woman, sometimes I, I, I hear that and I understand the principle of it. And just maybe just something that the audience even could help us with here. Uh, how, do you, how do we deal with these scriptures that, you know, talking about Christ becoming like the Father, but obviously we're not men and we aren't going to become like a man. Lisa, please. So when I read the scriptures, even though I'm not becoming a father, I think of my earthly father relationship, and he was such a good man, and he wanted the best for his children. And I know Heavenly Father's the same, so he's trying to guide us in a loving way to be the best that we can. And so that's how I refer to the likeness of the scriptures in my aspect as a woman, basically. Yeah, and I know, I mean, I taught religion for a number of years, and obviously I've been a woman my entire life. <laughs> I, I, I bring this out some, for, for, a, for a, a couple of points. Number one is we talk about these scriptures and things to be maybe conscientious that there are uh, women, and, and we sometimes, <laughs> women sometimes are not always thinking in that direction. It's difficult for a woman to sometimes, that's, that, that makes sense to most of the men, but are women really trying to do that? And I think that, that knowledge that we have, that we have a heavenly mother is very helpful, that we are trying to become like gods and goddesses as a united family and a couple. And I also think the point that we're trying to become like Jesus Christ. So anything else that you see on here, how does the Father's relationship with the Son help us understand our own identity or maybe our role as disciples of Jesus Christ? How does it inform our worship? Yeah, Adam. I think understanding our Heavenly Father, His intentions for us, um, 
that is the only way that we can interpret the teachings and the scriptures uh, by knowing him and, and what his goals and desires are uh, so our inter interpretation can be accurate. Uh, we have to understand these things uh, to give ourselves a pathway mm -hmm. uh, uh, for ourselves. Yeah, excellent. And I brought this up before, and I was just thinking of, of what Eric was saying earlier about how the end goal of worship uh, is transformation, right? And if we're worshiping a, a being who is uh, supposed to be our goal, one of the questions we can ask is, what does it mean that our goal is, uh, you know, the Son is in the Father, the Father is in the Son, the Son and the Father are one. There's this kind of overlapping nature. And, and we've talked about this before, but I think it's a really beautiful idea because it gives us a sense for how we should be as well as children of God. We're supposed to overlap with one another in some way, uh, united in heart and spirit, caring for one another, a kind of harmony and peace that the Father and the Son enjoy. They offer us a kind of template for what we can be with one another um, now as their children. You know, a lot of times the question is, how can we all be one when we're different? And do we maintain our individuality, our unique characteristics? And mm -hmm. there's a wonderful quote from Elder Holland. He gave a, a beautiful talk in October of 2003. It is the grand truth that in all that Jesus came to say and do, including and especially in his atoning suffering and sacrifice, he was showing us who and what God our eternal Father is like, how completely devoted he is to his children in every age and nation. So when we are becoming more like Jesus Christ and trying to love and forgive and, and be perfect like he is, it doesn't mean we are privileging the Son over the Father. In doing that, we're actually only following the path that Jesus himself followed in becoming more like his Father. And so we find out what our heavenly parents are like through their Son, Jesus, mm -hmm. and as we become like him, we become like them. When we're trying to become one, that doesn't mean that we're trying to become the same. You, you think of an, an orchestra. I remember when my husband and I were married, our sealer actually made a comment where he said, remember in the process of becoming one, you are not trying to become Dustin and Dustin is not trying to become Barb. You're trying to become in a sense, the soprano and the, and the bass or the alto and the tenor. And you're working together as a couple to bring to pass in your family, the greatest righteousness and the greatest of what Christ is able to perform. And so the more we become like Christ, the more unique we become as individuals as he provides us and gives us greater gifts. Annette, please. People who have different experiences, who have different struggles, they bring stuff to the table that someone at that same table might have needed to hear. And with that, we're able to become more united, stronger together. We need each other to help us get to that end goal of being like our Heavenly Father. Excellent, thanks. Thank you. So this has been a great discussion on how uh, the relationship in the Father and the Son can help us to understand not just the goal we strive towards, but uh, ourself right now and our relationship to one another. Uh, maybe we can transition now and talk a little bit about um, uh, progressing towards that goal or receiving a fullness of the Father. Section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, of course, talks about a number of things, but that word fullness and the idea of fullness comes in all throughout this section. So if you start right off in verse four, the father because he gave me of his fullness. And then you go to verse six, and John saw and bore record of the fullness of my glory and the fullness of John's record. This idea and this theme of fullness is going to continue throughout this section. Verse 12, you see fullness again. Verse 13, and he received not of the fullness at first. 
uh, then you see at the very end, until he received the fullness. And thus he was called the son of God because he received not of the fullness at first. And then you see verse 16, fullness. End of verse 19. Come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. If you keep my commandments, ye shall receive of his fullness. You continue on in verse 26 and you see again, he received a fullness of truth. Uh, no man receiveth the fullness unless he keepeth his commandments. You skip over to verse 33 and we see again, he receives a fullness of joy. Verse 34, again, we have a fullness of joy brought out. In this one section, we have this fullness and this idea that Christ has a fullness, that he gained a fullness, and that we also can gain a fullness if we follow Jesus Christ. So maybe a question about this fullness in, re in regards to Christ. How, how did Christ gain a fullness? Jazz, please. Thank you. So I had a thought when you were talking earlier about growing like from grace to grace. As a mom, I'm like acutely aware of my shortcomings, right? And I think that oftentimes we focus on those things, but when we focus on like just what's needed next, we don't fail. Yeah. What they needed when they were small is not what they need as teenagers anymore, right? So growing from grace to grace and then receiving that fullness, I think is you've been through like experiences and you, you've gathered more knowledge through those experiences. And I think the fullness comes kind of in knowing that like there's always a next step. It's interesting in here specifically that the way we gain fullness, or if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness. It's not, it's not just a fullness of what's going on in society. It, it, it's a different kind of fullness that we're talking about here. It's the fullness that Christ himself has that we are trying to gain and that he gained and that we're trying to teach to our children and trying to help them in that process. Jesse, please. Uh, one word that I noticed that accompanies that word fullness is the word receive. In order to receive something, uh, we have to do actions on our part. Uh, I like how you uh, read in verse four, it says the father gave uh, and, and the, the savior received. Uh, I just, I thought of more questions about what are some things that I'm doing that are preventing me from receiving? And I think about hard hearts or disobedience. Uh, and so I think that there's things that the Savior absolutely did to receive those things. He was humble and he possessed attributes of the Father uh, that allowed him to receive what Heavenly Father wanted him to have, uh, grace for grace. So that word receive is actually extremely important. So thank you, Jesse, for bringing that up. And we think about other places where we see that word. It's receive the Holy Ghost, receive the priesthood, receive the, the Son and the Father, right? And we're looking at you know, section 84 specifically. That word receive is extremely important as we're talking about becoming like Christ and becoming like our Father in heaven. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize too that it's not just the Lord piling more commandments on our plate that we need to kind of check off. He's commanding us to work collaboratively with him this is what it means to receive grace for grace. I think he's giving us endowments of help. He's inspiring us. He's enabling us, giving us the power to, to accomplish the things he wants us to do. So it's never things that we just have to do. It's working together. And it is very interesting to me because this word fullness that Barbara laid out for us in section 93, in verse 16, when it talks about receiving a fullness of the glory of the Father, that's echoing John 1, 16. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. But it goes on to say the fullness of his glory. We, we learn light, knowledge, truth, that all is part of what the glory of God is, yeah. which we're receiving incrementally. We are all working to become a perfect man or woman, receiving this fullness step by step, just as we help our children grow, as Jazz was saying, until we become like our heavenly parents. So Joseph Smith actually has a, a great quote on this. He says, when you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. 
And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation. But it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil before you will have learned them. It is not all to be comprehended in this world. It will be a great work to learn our salvation and exaltation even beyond the grave. You know, it's, it's interesting because there's a, little, a bit of a tension here because we talk about keeping the commandments, learning the principles, and yet the term being used is grace for grace or grace to grace. And grace implies a gift. So as soon as we, as long as we recognize that this fullness is coming in increments as a gift that we need to prepare ourselves to receive, not necessarily that we're earning it, we're right. simply preparing ourselves to receive this conduit of grace. I think of Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John, which is turning the water to wine. And if you read all this story carefully, it's not that Jesus kind of noticed the problem and then um, solved it in the same way he does when he sees people who are sick or uh, you know, possessed by demons, but it, it's his mother that brings uh, his attention to the problem. I mean, this is me reading into it, but she knew his character, she knew his abilities, and she presented with him a problem as an opportunity to kind of uh, exercise those powers and abilities that he was still developing. Uh, and it's, you know, his first miracle in his ministry in that gospel. Yeah. Speaking of developing too, Daniel, I was, I was thinking, reflecting on a quote from, from Lorenzo Snow. And Lorenzo Snow says this, when Jesus lay in the manger, a helpless infant, he knew not that he was the son of God and that formerly he created the earth. When the edict of Herod was issued, he knew nothing of it. He had not power to save himself. And his father and mother had to take him and fly into Egypt to preserve him from the effects of that edict. He grew up unto manhood. And during his progress, it was revealed unto him who he was and for what purpose he was in the world. The glory and power he possessed before he came into the world was now made known unto him. So even in this case where he's, he's changing water into wine, he's still in this process of, of becoming and gaining more power. It, it's just fascinating to me as we, we see this, this child who is Jesus Christ, even at that young age, his progress is, is continuing on and, and even as he's serving other people so selflessly. So we actually have a, a video from a viewer at home uh, that has a question regarding this idea of fullness. So one thing that we talked about a lot as we were reading this chapter was what it means and how we can receive a fullness of light and truth. And one thing that we thought was essential to that was receiving personal revelation. That if we, as we receive personal revelation, that's how we can receive a fullness of light and truth. So our question is, is what role do, does our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ play as we strive to receive revelation? Let's go to our audience here. What does that look like? Um, I kind of think of Jesus Christ, and he was probably about 10 years old working in the workshop with his father, and how his father's showing him what to do. And I'm thinking, Jesus, it's Jesus. He knows everything. Like, he should be teaching his dad, you know? Yeah. But how, you know, even at that point, knowing who he is, that he is teachable, and that he was able to learn what he needed to learn from his father at that moment and going on. So I think it's so important to realize, you know, to receive that fullness is to be teachable, that I can learn from a 10-year-old girl, or I can learn from my niece or my nephew or whatever it is, um, and how I can continue to receive that fullness and seeing the example that Jesus Christ, you know, was at that point living on earth, you know, that's something that I can strive and reach forward as well. Thank you so much for that comment. So this has been an excellent discussion on receiving a fullness. I wonder now if we can focus a little bit more on this idea of uh, intelligence being light and truth. So another theme in this section is intelligence, and this is what we learn about intelligence in section 93. It's equated to the light of truth, light and truth, and glory of God. 
And one of the things I really want to focus on is, is verse 40. Understanding what intelligence is, uh, the Lord commands and, and says this, but I have commanded you to bring up your children in light and truth, which is intelligence. And I'm wondering, what does this mean? Maybe what kind of challenges have you faced, Eric, in, in doing this? What does this mean to you? Well, you know, it's interesting because we oftentimes think of the typical situation of raising children. So my eldest, my daughter, was very precocious, very smart. I could teach her the gospel, I could teach her songs. Mm. Everything was going smoothly. And I was able to teach her the principles but my youngest is a special needs son. I have a son with autism. And until he was five, he didn't even talk. And so we had to completely recalibrate everything we did to teach him. When he was young, he wouldn't let us hold him. He had this vacant stare. He might not have known things cognitively, but he could understand things experientially. And when he felt the spirit, he'd calm down. So he'd throw himself down the ground and have these meltdowns. But if I gave him a blessing, he could feel the spirit. And he got this point, he would grab my hands when he was having a hard time and put them on his head. Or he would pat his head so I'd give him a blessing. And then as he got older, I was able to teach him very basic things. But I knew that if he could feel my testimony or the spirit as I taught him, he would understand. And when he was 12, he had progressed to the point he was smiling and he was functioning in school alone and I was able to ordain him a deacon. He just recently graduated from high school. What's reassuring for me is just as the premortal Christ, the divine word, had all light, knowledge, truth before he came and set that aside, I had an assurance from the spirit that Samuel was a powerful spirit. And in the resurrection, his disabilities and challenges in this life would be removed. And so I can still reach him because his spirit is recognizing things that he may not understand cognitively. And so I think as parents, whether we're literally the parents of children or we're an aunt or an uncle or we have children that we're responsible for, or we're teaching new people in the gospel, they can be adults, but they're still children in the gospel, we have to calibrate their ability to receive light and truth. But that ultimate light and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the power of God, the, the influence of the Spirit, we can bring into people's lives. And when the Steeds were saying, you know, how can we bring light and truth? How can we get answers to prayers? It's by turning to the source of that light, to Jesus Christ and our heavenly parents. And as we can give those in our charge experiences with that, then we can do more than we can by preaching at them and teaching them all day long. I really appreciate uh, your comments, Eric, about calibrating and giving uh, experiences to our kids and helping them with light and truth. Uh, I have two little ones at home. I have a five-year-old and I have a three-year-old. And uh, oftentimes when we're trying to do come follow me, uh, my wife and I will have a, a conversation that sounds something like, there's a lot of scary things in the world. And how in the world, 10 years from now, are we gonna raise our kids in whatever the world looks like? And uh, we, I just, I look at her and I say, we'll teach them. We'll give them experiences and we'll help them know who Jesus Christ is. And as they know who Jesus Christ is, uh, they will instinctively reject what the world has to offer. Uh, I like in verse 37, it says, light and truth forsake the evil one. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think about how can we help them be righteous and be obedient, we teach them. And you know, it's interesting that you bring that up and later on in this section, it's kind of in a, in a sense, almost seeming separate from what we're talking about, but the Lord kind of calls, calls on the carpet a little bit, calls to repentance. Some of his major leaders of the church, Joseph Smith is told to, you know, you have not kept the commandments and must need stand rebuke before the Lord. He's, he's one, Sidney Rigdon is called out. Newell K. Whitney is called out as the bishop. And I, I, I love what the Lord says to Newell K. Whitney. He says, my servant Newell K. Whitney, also a bishop of my church, hath need to be chastened and said, 
order his family and see that they are more diligent and concerned at home and pray always, or they shall be removed out of their place. I don't think he's calling him on the carpet or condemning him in any way because he's, he's, he's upset with him. I think he's simply saying, as, as you're saying, you know, when you study the scriptures and when you pray as a family, when you're at home and you're doing these things, you are helping your children increase in this light and truth. And you set that environment, your children will then have the capacity to know how to find this as well. It's not that the parent's job is to tell them everything. Often, as we've talked about before, the parent's job is to help the children understand. So this has been an excellent discussion on intelligence is light and truth. Uh, Thank you so much for your very insightful comments. Eric, we'd really like to thank you for your insights and comments. Thank you also for your experiences that you shared. Thank you for having me. And thank you also for those of you here in the audience. We appreciate your thoughts, your insights, your responses, and your experiences that you shared as well. And to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and questions and insights via social media. We'd love to have you come join us sometime in the studio. But if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for a come follow-up. Thanks. Thanks so much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.